Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us once again for the Parenting Spot. Good afternoon. Good Joanna. afternoon. Right, here's your first question. I have reached desperation point and don't know how I can help my eight-year-old daughter. Every single night she wakes up scared and unable to go back to sleep unless I sleep in the bed with her. She has literally never slept by herself for a full night, not even once. We have tried several times to bring her back to her own room and do all the usual obvious stuff, like tell her how she's safe and acknowledge her fears. We do uh, meditation with her every night before bed, play calming waves music for her to fall asleep. There has been some improvement over the last year or so. And she's able to go to sleep by herself now if we check on her every 20 minutes. But she just cannot seem to sleep through the night. Two weeks ago, I moved her younger sister, three and a half, into her room in the hopes that having her in there uh, would help. We spent a lot of money on new beds and trying to make the room extra nice for both of them so they would be excited to share. But my older daughter is really resistant to the change and wants her old room back. I've actually made things worse. (laughs) The four of us are bed swapping more than ever and everything just seems unmanageable now. The long-term sleep deprivation, on my part especially, makes it very difficult to not give in and just get into the bed with her. I feel like I'm really starting to resent her for this which is awful because I know it's not her fault. I thought she could benefit from seeing a child psychologist, but when I Google this, it mainly brings up sleeping issues in younger children, i.e. babies or toddlers. Should I just give up and continue to sleep in a room in the hope she will grow out of it, or am I doing more harm by possibly reinforcing her fears by staying with her? Oh, I mean, I really feel... There. Oh, Poor God, yeah. Mother. But you know what? Um... This is something this child has never mastered. So we're not looking at a regression here. This isn't sleep regression. This isn't, oh, did something happen and it's knocked her back a bit? Or might she be unwell? Might she be going through a growth spurt? Might there be a something that's caused a regression? Because this isn't a regression. This has never been something that this child could do. So I think that's it. I also think, you know, I mean, look, as soon as you go to Google (laughs) and it sounds like Google is merging psychology and sleep consultancy when you look it up and they're quite separate things. So, um, you know, there are sleep consultants who do work with older children, but I think predominantly you will find it's younger children when you look that up. So don't rule out taking her to see someone, but be clear, why why are you taking her there? I suppose I'm wondering outside of this sleep issue, and I'm in no way trying to minimise that because it's clearly a big issue. How is she otherwise? You know, there isn't Mm. really a sense here of is she doing okay at school? Has she friends? Has she enough energy to get through her day? Has she got activities? Is she, apart from the sleep, a happy, healthy, functioning eight-year-old child? Mm. Because, you know, if it's very specific to sleep, then it may be a sleep person that you want to see and not psychology if there's nothing else going on. The other thing, Sean, that jumps out at me here is and I, I, sometimes I think you say I'm going to state the obvious and I'm going to oh, thanks for that. But that doesn't actually help. you know. But <laughs> some children just struggle with going off to sleep yeah, yeah. on their own. They really struggle with it and they need to wake. And I've often said here that sleep is one of those issues where a parental want, we desperately want them to sleep all night and we need that time and space and sleep ourselves. And they need to check, are we still there? It's a prolonged separation that's too much for some kids. I'm also very aware you're using the, you know, the meditation, the calming waves. That all sounds lovely. But one of the things that you need to be aware of is that if you are reliant on a sleep aid to fall asleep, 
if she wakes in the middle of the night, very normal. Most mm. of us yeah, have some yeah. waking or wakefulness during the night. It's just that most of us roll over and go back asleep straight away. But if she's solely reliant on sleep aids, then she might not be able to put herself back yeah, to sleep when yeah. she wakes because she'll need the crashing waves and the meditation again. So you might want to review, are they helping or hindering overall what you're trying to do? I mean, I suppose at, she's eight years old. I, I'm tempted to again say the obvious with the three and a half year old going into the eight year old's room, can you undo this? Is this something you can say in spite of the expensive beds and everything that you went to? It isn't working. We've learned a lesson. Can we undo it? Yeah. But apart from that, have you asked your daughter, you know, what nighttime is like for her? Like, have you actually said, look, it's really hard for you to go to sleep. It's really stressful for everyone. I get that. But I'm wondering what is happening for you when it gets to nighttime? Yeah. Is she able to speak to I'm afraid or, you know, I lots of thoughts in my head. I'm really where some children benefit from having a, a quiet emotional chat time before bed, almost a daily download. Let me just download everything because it's in those quiet moments mm. of lying there that everything can be running through their heads. And maybe she needs something like a small change that could make a big difference here. So ask her what nighttime's like and how would she like it to be? Because if it's not working for you, the chances are it's not working yeah. for her either. Um, as like a psychotherapist or a, a child psychotherapist or a psychologist will explore with her, you know, what a nighttime worry is, what's going on. But I don't want to presume this child is worried, mm. you know, because I just don't know that. I'm not getting yeah, well, a I mean, clear she does, message she about that. She does say scared, but I mean, and that's not to dismiss it at all. But, yeah. you know, yourself, like, they, you know, you put them to bed, they come in, they have some pressing questions to ask you. They're thirsty and they're absolutely. scared. I was going to uh, say uh, the thirst of a Sahara Desert, yes, you know, comes in at yeah. that stage. But scared is just one of the gamut of just, I just want to drag it out in a lot of cases. Yeah. Maybe not. And it might be connection seeking as well with that. So there's a bit where you're saying, you know, should I just give up and continue to sleep in her room? I'm going to say if you're happy to sleep with her and it gets you all to sleep and it's not a bother for you, then it's not a bother. Yeah. But if this is a bother for you and you really want to be able to have her sleep in her room and you sleep in yours, then it is something you need to change. I think this whole idea of children must sleep in their own rooms and must put themselves to sleep we can make a problem where there necessarily isn't one. Mm. If you're quite happy to co-sleep with her or to support her in going to sleep and you know this is the quickest route to us all getting a fairly good night's sleep, do that. It's only a problem if it's a problem. I don't pathologise children needing somebody to support them going to sleep. Some children just do. Yeah. She's getting towards that age though where she might be going for sleepovers and stuff. Well, that's going to be where, though, you talk to her about what's going on for nighttime, because yeah. that's when she begins to want to. I need to change this. Yeah, I want to be able to do this at the moment. It's coming from exhausted parents. Yeah. And exhausted parents is not nothing because none of us are our finest parenting selves. So I also am picking up on the bit where you're beginning to get resentful to her. You're not. You're mm, resenting no. the lack of sleep and that's very relatable. You're not resenting her. You're actually bending over backwards to try to support her and facilitate her. So there's no resentment here other than you're resenting the lack of sleep and you're allowed to resent that. Be kind to yourself with that. Eight years of disrupted sleep is a long time. nothing to joke at, that's for sure, yeah. I think my six-year-old has a fear of soap and suds. It's very peculiar. He's an only child, so I have no idea if this is a thing, but he hates baths with bubbles. He always has. He would get upset at them being around him in the bath or on him, but even the shampoo lathering on his head can cause him to get upset. He hates washing his hands, again due to the lather, so we use mostly gel-based products to wash his hands. 
He's never enjoyed blowing bubbles, and God forbid there would be a bubble machine at a party he goes to. I wonder should I bring him to speak to someone about this, as it's such a strange aversion. The baths we got around, as we have showers now, and we avoid bubbles as best we can. But this can't be a forever thing, can it? What can we do to help him? I mean, can it? I, I, you know, <laughs> I think maybe it Could can. Be. You know, to be honest, it, this is incredibly specific. Yes, you know? yeah. Like, this isn't a child who doesn't like the shower washing. This is very specific to bubbles. I'm wondering if it's a sensory aversion, actually, yeah, because yeah. when you think of bubbles, and particularly, you know, the, the I'm going to call them the party bubbles, you know, those ones, they can be very... Um, there's there's a sticky, you know, they can mm. leave it like a serum almost on your hand. So there is a tactile, slimy, sticky association. There's also a connection if bubbles or anything to do with the suds in a bath or blowing bubbles ever got into his eye. That's very yeah. sore, very yeah. irritating and a negative association could come in. So I, I'm just really curious about and you know, when this parent says, God forbid there'd be a bubble machine at a party, I immediately go, why? What happens? What happens? Yeah. <laughs> you know, is it that he gets very scared? or that he's very averse to it. What is it that happens there? I mean, I mean, it sounds like you're managing around this in terms of hygiene. You mm. know, you've been creative. You know, the child is getting washed. So it's not causing you a problem there. Um, definitely ask him what it is he doesn't like because I imagine it's a sensory piece. And actually, he's allowed to not like things. We're all allowed yes, to not like yeah, things. Yeah. And there is definitely, even in adulthood, there are certainly things with texture that I have an aversion to. You can even see it in my face when I'm thinking about it. I don't like the texture of porridge. You know, I never really? did. I, yeah. I don't know that I ever will. But it doesn't cause any major upheaval in my life other mm. than I don't make or eat porridge. You're not bathing so, in porridge, you know, for instance. Exactly. Yes. So if you can manage this, he's allowed to not like something, particularly if there's a sensory aspect. So I would say, you know, so long as it isn't inhibiting his life, like if he can go to parties and it's not that the anticipation of a bubble machine renders mm. him incapable of going to a party, I'd leave this alone. Unless it's absolutely causing a problem, I would simply say, he doesn't like bubbles. He doesn't yeah. like bubbly sud stuff. And we can work around it with other things. If it becomes something that is, you know, inhibiting his participation, then, yeah, it's something you need to look at. But for mm. now, hold space for it. Uh, are bubble machines at parties a thing anyway, particularly? I mean, I've seen a lot more of the bubble machine stuff come in um, in these COVID times when we're not supposed to be blowing in each mm. other's direction. So, you know, you can get ones that um, there's a little button or that, you know, it's like a, a little water gun idea, a little trigger that you keep pulling and it goes that way. So, I mean, I don't think they're a massive feature, but they can be. They definitely can be there. But you can also call ahead. Like if somebody called me and said, um, my child really has an issue with bubbles. It's not a big issue to not no, have not bubbles. Really. Yeah. You know, so I think this is workable around. I wouldn't over focus on it if it began to inhibit participation or if there was an aversion to washing or getting clean then you've an issue mm. but at the moment you're managing it really well my three-year-old is a big fan of dressing up she often insists on an outfit change during the day and loves accessories she has more bags than i do at this stage anyway she got a hat this winter a lovely pink one with glitter and bobbles but the issue is that it has stayed on her head for about four months now i take it off her when we're back inside and hang it up with the coats but she finds it in minutes and puts it on again and inevitably refuses to take it off. She'll often refuse to take it off when going to bed, having a bath, which is really tricky. And it's a constant feature when indoors at the minders too. It always le leads to tears and tantrums and we take it from her. I know it's only a hat, 
but her hair has become a matted mess underneath and she gets so hot and sweaty when wearing it. There is no talking to her and reasoning that it's for outside only. Has Joanna any techniques to get her to relinquish the hat? I mean, you're really hitting me with the really specific stuff Very today. specific, yeah. What's your anti-hat therapy? My, my hat piece is. Yeah. But you know, I'm thinking is what I really do empathise with because I figured as you were reading that this has to be sweaty. That's all I kept thinking yeah. was this is the mm. real issue because if it wasn't, you would just leave her wearing the hat. And I'm wondering if you can do some structure around this that, yes, you're saying it's an outdoor hat, but then maybe have an indoor hat available and also make it cute. She can stick sequences on it, get a cotton hat, in other words, like a nice cotton breathable thing for inside and then have some no hat spaces. That would be bedtime, bath time. There are no hat spaces, indoor hats, outdoor hats and have some hairbands or headbands. I'm wondering if she quite likes the feel of it mm. around her head, in which case you could put a headband on, which would give that same, you know, that same kind of pressure and feel around her head without the sweatiness. I'd have a little box of hats, pre-approved, appropriate hats. And I imagine this is going to be a phase. It's a phase that may not be passing as quickly as you'd like. (laughs) And it's definitely causing the hair matting and the sweating. I agree with you. It can't, you know, there is a point where you have to say, I know you love your hat, but it's making knots in your hair. Yeah. So that's because these hats don't belong indoors. And you almost blame the hat, not her. And you say it's because it's an outdoor hat. But you know what I found you? I found you an indoor hat. And you could have a little box that has, you know, straw hats, flower crowns, headbands, a few decorative, playful pieces and see, is that enough to entice her? Um, I mean, there are other parents listening on they can't get their kids to wear hats outside. Yeah, or clothes sometimes, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So kids can really hit you with very specific things. But there is something about this that she likes the style of it, the look of it. I would come at it in a playful way. But you are holding the structure and the boundary that it's causing you knots and that really hurts you when we're combing your hair and we don't Mm. want you to be hurt. That's why the hat's outside. So try to structure it. Um, Really, it's an accessory to her and she just likes the look and feel of it. It's part of her style. But just give her some variations because I'm just thinking as well, that hat must smell beautiful. Well, yeah. Well, presumably at nighttime, you could kind of, if if it's washable in some way, you can... uh, Pop it off uh, when she's asleep, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But she is three, though, at the same time. So limited in terms of... Yeah. Reason. I mean, the flexibility of three months <laughs> is renowned. You yes, know, really. yes, They're indeed, like, yes. Why didn't I come up with this idea? It's why I think you need a, a little box. Like a, it's like a dress up box of yeah, hats. Yeah. And, you know, you'll pick those up in all kinds of little dress up stores, little, like, you know, Tiger, the likes of that. You'll always pick up little hat bits and, you know, don't go out and buy them all at once. Gradually gather them. But I do think in it, having a designated indoor hat designated no hat spaces and it's a special outdoor hat and we want to keep it safe for outdoor time. You're also coming into the summer so you might regret naming it as an outdoor hat when it has to yeah. be. A, but pick your battles with a three-year-old. They can go much louder and longer than we can. Yes, so it's a house full of <laughs> yeah. hat-free zone signs on it. Uh, I, I'm sure many people have quiet teenagers who never tell them things but our 13-year-old lad is a complete oversharer mm. and doesn't seem to have a filter. She has often told her friends and some of our extended family things I I would have never shared. She gets carried away and doesn't seem to have a filter for what's private information and what's for general consumption. We've learned over the years to limit what we tell her for this reason. However, I can see it's affected one of our closest friendships and it's really got her down. She told another friend a secret and now she's being left out by the group. 
I know she means no harm. It just comes out. How do we get through to her so that she understands you need to be mindful of information that is not yours to share as all our efforts have failed so far? This is really interesting. interesting. Yeah, because I mean, you're quite right. Lots of people do have teenagers who tell you very little and that's a developmental task of adolescence. It's one of the adjustments Mm. is to seek more privacy, to keep more things to yourself. And that can, it's healthy and normal until it's not, until they're keeping things from you that you need to know. But this is the other side. And I'm just, she's sounding like an emotionally young 13 year old. Mm. Like you're describing something that at some, at various stage of children's development, they do tell on you a lot. They overshare, they tell, they don't have that filter and it's, and because they're quite young, it's almost cute when they do it. But when you're 13, there's different social expectations. Mm. And actually, this is a very young, immature behaviour. And I found myself wondering, Jean, when you were reading this, is this 13 year old on social media? And how is she on there? You know, I mean, the platform designed to encourage oversharing. And if she isn't, and she may not be for these very reasons, by the way, (laughs) you want to tread very carefully in preparing her for that, because there are things that she might share in a very open form that she can't unshare. You know, and she doesn't sound ready for that. So you're going to come at this in a way um, around boundaries, really. And I think you have to come at it in a creative communication way. So, you know, playful mind really to this. You know, if if you can say the sooner she starts talking and you see where it's going, because she's going, oh, wait till I tell you. And immediately you're like, "Mm, should you be telling me? Mm. Name that. Hit the pause button, have a nonverbal signal. It might be that you literally hold up a T with your hand and say, "Okay, time out. Pause very quickly. Is this your story to tell? Am I supposed to know it? Mm-hmm. How would the person you're talking about feel about you saying this? Try to slow her down in the moment. Yeah. And you're going to have to structure this from the outside because she's not doing it internally. Mm-hmm. So if you're teaching her this kind of pause button, the internal pause button, when she's not with you, you're asking her to do the same thing. Before you tell someone a story, you have to pause and go, is it my story Should I be saying it? How will this person feel about it? And if she's like, yeah, yeah, good to go. And sometimes it is. (laughs) And if not, but the other side of it is I'm curious, does she have that capacity for what I'd call reflective functioning after this? I'm thinking of this incident with her friends, which is not insignificant. You know, there's a pretty big consequence for her having overshared here. And that's going to become increasingly an issue at her age. And that's why it does seem like an immature behaviour. Can she afterwards recall what's happened? I told the story. I've upset someone. They're now not talking to me and I feel upset as well. If she has that level of awareness, can she say in hindsight and recall it from fresh thinking and new perspective? I shouldn't have done that. That was inappropriate. And if she can do that, she can be supported again by you to go and make repair and say to her friends, I'm really sorry. I made a mistake. I got that wrong. And I really wish I hadn't. And I hope you can forgive me. Yeah. And hopefully they can. But 13 year olds are pretty precious about their information. And, you know, there's a lot of trust presumed in relationships. And she's broken that trust, Mm. not intentionally, not with malice, but she has. So she's going to have to earn that back. I think you might need to do that bit of sitting down with her and almost brainstorming it out. So what happened? What what's the outcome? If you could rewind time, what would you do differently and why? What could you now do to fix it? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of overtly structuring her and doing it repeatedly until she can do it herself. And when she's away from you and it goes wrong, I'm saying when, not if, because I think it will continue to go wrong before it goes right. (laughs) You'd say to her, "Okay, so it happened. 
What have you learned from it? What could you do differently? So you're doing quite a behavioural focus with this. And, you know, hopefully as she emotionally matures in the next year or two, you will see a change in this. Yeah. So, I mean, is to a degree, is this, I mean, as you say, she seems a bit young for her mm-hmm. years. Is this a process of almost kind of teaching her maturity rather than, you know, or, yeah. or teaching her this is how the way things work? She seems to not realise the dynamic between people. Exactly. Yet. And she's not really doing that self and other awareness piece. She's not thinking, oh, I, that's a really interesting story and I know you'd be interested in it. So mm. I want to share it with you. We'll have this connection. And you always let her know that you are interested in what interests her but it has to be her story and her information and when you tell something about someone else their feelings get hurt I think she needs it broken down for her I'm curious as to why she needs it broken down for her in that way but I think at the moment she does it's really about boundaries and it's about limits so I I would also be wondering with this parent you know how is she with boundaries in general is it just about the oversharing talking, Hmm. gossiping information or is she, does she struggle with boundaries in general? Because, you you know, again, it could be immaturity. I would just keep an eye on this um, because I, I, I worry this could affect her peer relationship, Sean. It already is. Mm. I hope that's fixable, you know, and they're young enough. And if she can go back and say sorry, you know, and we should always encourage our kids to accept apologies from their friends as well. You know, but if she can do that and move forward with fresh thinking, a new perspective and awareness of, gosh, I shouldn't do that again, then that's a lesson learned. But if she isn't integrating that boundary and that limit, the chances are she will do it again. Yeah. She, well, it, she sounds like she's a yakker anyway, absolutely. naturally. Absolutely. Uh, she just loves that, you know. The but it might be that you give her a safe space that if you're going to, if you've any doubts and you really want to tell something, you can always tell me. Yeah. And you say, yeah. but don't tell anyone else. And I will let you know, is it appropriate to tell others or not? So if in doubt, bring it home and tell me first. Yeah. God knows what you might hear. Uh, Joanna, That's the other side of it, isn't it? <laughs> Joanna, thanks so much Thank for coming you. in to us. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.